welcome to the next 30 minutes of programs from Adventist World Radio. In today's program, we bring you our health news update. And then in our world, skeletal coast lions. They have a reddish gold mane and can be found in one of the most uninhabitable places on Earth. We'll learn more about the Skeleton Coast Lion. And in focus on family and health, healthy diet, we'll look at the secret of staying fresh even after a three-hour bike ride. Music from Margaret Becker. And we continue our thought for the week on God's grace. I'm Victor Holbert. And I'm Piper Anishield. And this is AWR, Adventist World Radio, the voice of hope. And now we have a health news update for you. This is Ariel McLeggan for AWR with this week's health news update. Muslim leaders in northern Nigeria blocked an emergency polio immunization program. They claim World Health Organization vaccines could be part of an American plot to infect Nigerians with diseases or make them sterile, and have forced three northern states to put this program on hold. The WHO wants to immunize 15 million children in West and Central Africa. It says the vaccines are identical to those in use elsewhere in the world, and that the program is essential to stop the disease in Nigeria which accounts for roughly half of the world's polio cases. A non-human molecule from red meat and milk is, when consumed, working its way into the human system and can build up in tumors. This compound, sialic acid, is found in animal cells but is not normally found in people. Researchers at the University of California, San Diego, found it's absorbed into the human body when eating red meat and milk. Researchers state that lamb, pork, and beef have the highest amount of the animal compound called NEU-5GC. Levels are very low or undetectable in poultry, fish, vegetables, and eggs. Dr. Ajit Varki and his colleagues say it's too soon to make recommendations based on the findings. He noted that the molecule is not immediately toxic to people. It could be that the damage only builds up over the years. One-fifth of the world's population is between the ages of 10 and 19, according to the State of the World Report released on Wednesday. It's important for societies to invest in programs that fight poverty, early pregnancy, and STDs, as well as HIV and AIDS among adolescents. That group of more than 1.2 billion young people must be given skills, opportunities, and have a say in the development plans, according to the report. HIV and AIDS is one of the fastest spreading diseases among youths in sub-Saharan Africa. About 8.6 million are infected. More than 60% of them are female. According to the report, poverty is a factor in the spread of HIV as some poor girls sell sex for money to help their families. There is now a new approach to ear infections. Pediatricians report that parents often bring in a child with an ear infection and insist on receiving antibiotics. However, studies show that between 70 to 90% of infections will heal without treatment. 
Researchers from the Children's Hospital Medical Center in Cincinnati recently experimented with a watch and wait approach to 175 children. Families received ibuprofen, acetaminophen, or topical anesthetic drops. They were given a prescription under a condition they would fill it after 48 hours only if the symptoms continued. Only 31% of parents followed up with the prescription. In the U.S., the Food and Drug Administration has banned the sale and use of a new steroid. Tetrahydrogesterone, or THG, is not a dietary supplement, but is a synthetic steroid derived from another banned drug. It is developed from gestrinone, a drug that, while banned by the United States Anti-Doping Agency, is used to treat endometriosis in Europe. The chemical, which won't show up in a routine urine test, is at the center of an Olympic and professional athlete scandal. A diet rich in extra-high olive oil reduces the need for hypertensive drugs. Researchers compared the effects of a diet high in monounsaturated and polyunsaturated oils based on the need of antihypertensive medication. The patients then had to follow one diet for six months and then were switched to the other diet. Their blood pressure was significantly lower after the olive oil diet. The conclusion is, with a slightly reduced intake of saturated fat combined with the use of extra virgin olive oil, antihypertensive dosages can be lowered. According to the Singapore Straits Times, dengue fever cases this year could surpass last year's record of nearly 4,000 people. This year alone, the health ministry reported that 8 in 10 had to be hospitalized. The serious hemorrhagic fever causes internal bleeding and has the potential to kill one in five sufferers. After a bite by an infected Aedes mosquito, the fever will take a week to incubate. Symptoms include high fever, chills, nausea, severe headaches, and pain in the joints. For malaria and dengue prevention, people ought to remove stagnant water from their homes and report increases in mosquitoes to the National Environment Agency. This has been Ariel McLegan for AWR with this week's health news update. You may contact us with your questions or prayer requests by calling 000-800-040-1704. Again, the number to call is 000-800-040-1704. Thank you, Ariel. Our Bible theme for this week is on the topic of God's grace. Always a good subject. It's always nice to be reminded of how inclusive and how loving and how bountiful God is towards us. And Ephesians 2 verses 13 to 14 have another example of this. Now, because of Christ dying that death, shedding that blood, you who were once out of it altogether are in on everything. The Messiah has made things up between us, so that we're now together on this, both non-Jewish outsiders and Jewish insiders. He tore down the wall we used to keep each other at a distance. And that's so true. There's no longer any division. As you look elsewhere in the Bible, it tells us that as far as God's concerned, it doesn't matter if you're male or female, rich or poor, black or white, 
Jewish or non-Jewish, he's there for each and every one of us. He's got a wonderful gift he wants each one of us to receive. Ephesians 2 verses 13 to 14 on God's grace. And some good news there that you've heard on Adventist World Radio, the voice of hope. For now we bring you music from Margaret Becker and this is the song Feel It All. I think I heard your voice floating on the evening
was Margaret Becker with the song Feel It All. And you heard it on AWR Adventist World Radio, The Voice of Hope. You may contact us with your questions or prayer requests by calling 000-800-040-1704. Again, the number to call is 000-800-040-1704. What are you afraid of? Is it the things we see that we fear? Or is it the things that we cannot see that we fear, like time? As adults, we outgrew childish fears but replaced them with grown-up ones. But there is still one simple truth. There is no need to fear. For reasons to hope, write to Hope Talk, 39 Brendan Street, London, W1, England, or log on to hopetalk.org. In today's edition of Our World, we visit one of the most uninhabitable places in the world, the Skeleton Coast. I don't know exactly where that is, but I know someone who does. Here's our wildlife expert, Bruce Davidson, with a report on what you're likely to find on such a rare coastline. The coastal waters off Namibia are teeming with fish. These waters are extremely cold, flowing directly off the Antarctic ice shelf, and since cold water is rich in nutrients, the plankton grow like mad. This feeds the fish, present in great diversity and abundance, which in turn feeds huge colonies of Cape fur seals, as well as massive flocks of sea-going birds. In stark contrast to all this rampant fertility, on the land the skeleton coast is one of the most unfriendly and inhospitable places on the face of this planet. For just about 600 kilometres running south from the border with Angola to almost level with the capital Windhoek, the coast is dry desert. There's almost no fresh water anywhere except for in the very few rivers that manage to break through the coastal sand dunes and make it to the sea, and most of them are seasonal as well. The air is dry, the ground is dry, what little green vegetation there is is withered and leathery, and the tallest shrub is the Welwitchia, which reaches the massive height of half a metre, or about two feet, it takes decades to grow, but then does live for thousands of years. Needless to say, there are no trees, and not much wildlife. The Skeleton Coast gets its name from the rusting wrecks of ships that run aground all along the coast, as well as the occasional real skeleton in the sand. Yet, 
Amongst all this desolation, there are species of large mammal that have adapted to this harsh habitat and made it home. There are desert-adapted elephant, zebra and springbok, as well as the only truly aggressive antelope, the chemsbok or oryx. Now where you find herbivores, you usually find carnivores, and even this extreme environment is no exception. Up to 20 years ago, well into the 80s, there was a large pride of lions that thrived on the coastal antelope, as well as predating on seals from the coastal colonies. There are also brown hyena, and these omnivores, known locally as thradlupers, are still comparatively common in the area, but that's another story. Of this program, I'm going to concentrate on the lions. This particular pride had a huge territory, covering a large stretch of the skeleton coast, but even that didn't stop them from coming up against humans. The local community of the Himba people, in a small settlement called Puros, are fiercely protective of their cattle, and towards the end of the 80s they killed the last of the lions, and that seemed to be that as far as coastal lions were concerned. Yet, just two years ago, a small group of four lions, three males and one female, were expelled from their home pride in the Damaraland area, way to the south. They gradually wandered the 200 kilometres north and eventually arrived in the Skeleton Coast National Park, which straddles the Horasib River, one of the few perennial watercourses in the entire area. This group has since produced one litter of pups, which are now half-grown. The female's probably pregnant again, and when you look at the males, they are actually magnificent with their flowing reddish-gold manes. Unfortunately for them, on their way to the park, they killed a few cattle. And most importantly, the prized stud bull of the headman of Puros village, which didn't exactly enamour them to the locals. Since then, they seem to have settled into the park and only rarely venture outside anymore. So if they behave themselves, the Himba might just let them alone. The Puros community are in fact very conservation-minded, and herds of springbok, zebra, giraffe and chemsbok abound on their land and even share the grazing and water with their cattle. Incredibly, the desert elephants move past the villages undisturbed, and there seems to be mutual respect and acceptance. Unfortunately, this tolerance doesn't seem to extend to predators, and given the poor rains of the last couple of seasons, there may well be clashes between the herdsmen and the lions. The park's authorities are offering compensation in case of provable loss to lions, and the main local safari company is offering to match these amounts. So maybe the Himber and the lions can both learn to live and net live under a sort of watchful truce. A long-term peace treaty is rather unlikely, though, given the aggressive natures of both the lions and humans. But a truce might work and save what are, after all, a unique group of carnivores. Thank you, Bruce. And that was Bruce Davidson there with that report on Skeleton Coast in Namibia. Well, it's time for another Bible text. In fact, two this time. I'd like to share with you Psalm 84, verse 11, and then Psalm 94, 19. They kind of go together in the thought on God's grace says, all sunshine and sovereign is God, generous in gifts and glory. He doesn't scrimp with his traveling companions. When I was upset and beside myself, you calmed me down and cheered me up. And that's a great thought that God is with us, whether we're in the good times and we're we're having a, a good roll and ride in his grace, or at the times when life's a little bit difficult. God's grace is sufficient for us in both of those periods in our lives. Two thoughts on grace there for the price of one, really. Psalm 84, 11 and 94, verse 19. And now it's time again to listen to Mary Lello with South African health specialist Theda Leone for a look at a healthy diet.
right, let's go right back to the book of Genesis. In Genesis, when God originally created Adam and Eve, he told them that he was going to give them every herb-bearing seed upon the face of the earth and every tree in which is the fruit of a tree-yielding seed. To you it shall be for meat. Adam's diet consisted of fruits, nuts, grains, and was modified to include whole plants after he was exiled from the Garden of Eden, found in Genesis 3, verse 18. Then we find there came another change in man's diet. And we find at the time of the flood, because the entire world was destroyed by water, when um, Noah and his family landed, there was nothing to eat. And God gave him an emergency diet to take care of the time until the plants and that had grown. And we find in Genesis 9, verse 3, he gives Noah the permission to eat meat and all the green things that will grow. But there are a proviso as far as the meat is concerned. It had to be meat that was drained of blood. It had to be only clean animals as dictated in Genesis 7 or Leviticus 11. And there was to be no unnecessary killing of animals or human life at that stage. That is very interesting because I'm particularly interested in the being drained of blood because it seems as though that blood carries disease from an animal to a human being. Very definitely. You take, for instance, what happens when animals go to the slaughterhouse. Into that blood, they are in a state of absolute fright and hormones are pumped into that blood when we eat meat with the blood in we get all those toxins from the body of the animal and they definitely do affect us in a very definite way and all the illnesses that animals carried are also transferred in the blood so God knew what he was talking about when he said drain the blood right well that's an interesting observation now let's have a quick look Um, you said that originally man's diet was fruit nuts grains Now, is there any indication in the way that our bodies are structured uh, to prove that point, that that really should be what we are eating? Yes. All you've got to do is look at yourself and look at a lion. We look very different, but let's go through the points. We have small mouths. Our dental structure is such that we have cutting incisors but crushing and grinding teeth to chew our food. Then we find that the motion of our jaws is totally different. We have three distinct motions, vertical, lateral, and forward and backward to be able to move our food around our mouths. We find that our intestines are totally different. We have small stomachs and we have small intestines and a large, smooth intestine. And in this way, we find that we are very different. And then, as far as perspiring is concerned, we perspire through the skin. An animal perspires via the tongue. And they also drink water differently to what we do. We suck the water in and an animal laps it. So our mouths and that are very, very different as far as our eating habits are concerned. So that indicates that we should have a different diet. Yeah. Right. In other words, we're kind of veering here to saying that maybe the vegetarian diet is the better diet to follow. Is there any validity or any experiment to prove the validity of a statement that the vegetarian diet might be better? Yes, there are many studies that have been done. And uh, one of them by Dr. Rita Butram, Doctor of Chief of the Diet and Cancer Branch of the National Society in USA. She did a study where she um, changed the diets of people with what we call a mixed diet. And she reduced the fat intake 
and she increased the dietary fiber and she maintained the optimum weight and found that this was very effective. But now Dr. Uh, Astrud, a Swedish scientist, did even a more interesting diet. He took some athletes and he, he fed, the first phase of the diet was that he fed them what we call a normal mixed diet, which is what you mostly eat, a mixture of vegetables, fruits, grains, meat, and dairy products. And he found that when he put them onto a, a stationary bicycle, they were able to pedal for 114 minutes without reaching a state of exhaustion. Then he took those same athletes and he put them onto a high-protein diet and fat diet from animal products, meat, fish, butter, eggs, and that. And he found that on a stationary bicycle, they could only pedal for 57 minutes. So they had been in before exhaustion took place. And the third fate of this was he found that he put them onto a high carbohydrate diet, which was bread, potatoes, corn, various vegetables and fruit, which they thoroughly enjoyed. And he found that when he put them back onto the bicycles, they were able to pedal for 167 minutes without any signs of exhaustion. Well, that's a very interesting experiment and maybe something we could try ourselves if those of us have a bicycle at home and see whether it really works. It really does work. A vegetarian diet or a high-carbohydrate diet very definitely gives you very much more energy. And this has been proved by our athletes. You'll find most of our long-distance runners, uh, they use that one magical word, carbo-load. Before they go on, on these sort of races, they go on to a high-carbohydrate diet for this very reason. And what would you recommend as a guideline to good eating practices? All right, let's take generally good eating practices. I think we've dealt a little bit with what we should be eating, but let's talk a little bit about when we should be eating. We find that, that when we talked about breakfast, we really need to have breakfast like a king. Have a breakfast that's going to be sustaining and balanced. When we get to lunchtime, we need to cut down a little bit and have salads and a protein or something like that, and we eat like a prince at lunchtime. But finally, we find in the evening, when most of us have these huge big meals, we find that that's the time we really need to have a less meal, because once we go to bed, it disturbs our sleep, the digestion of the big meal, and it also happens to settle on the hips. So we needn't eat that large meal. So we eat like a pauper in the evening. And just to put that into a nutshell, by following the King Prince Pauper Guideline, your overweight will no longer be a problem. You will get a more restful night's sleep if you haven't eaten a large meal in the evening that is still being digested as you are sleeping. There are many benefits in addition to disease prevention, increased strength, the important thing is to try it for yourself and find out how great life can be. With God's help, you can do it. And they'll be back again in a future week with more health tips for us. But if you'd like to know more on this issue of health and happiness, please write in for our free health guides. We'll give you the contact details in just a moment. And on that note, we now conclude today's English Language Service programme. But don't forget you can listen to the programme on the web. Just log on to english.awr.org and then click on the programme of your choice. That's english.awr.org. And if you'd like to receive your free health guides or our No Fear brochure, you may contact us with your questions or prayer requests by calling 000-800-040-1704. Again, the number to call is 
1704. Be sure to join us tomorrow for Reflections, where we'll bring you words and music to feed your soul. I'm Piper Anna Shields. And I'm Victor Hulbert, and we hope you can join us for the next English language service broadcast. Until then, goodbye and God bless. <laughs>